Good morning. Good afternoon. This is the Curious Anarchy podcast. And we're back once again, like the renegade master. People have the power, power to the people. It is Marky and Jermaine. Come on, come on. Come on, let's go. We're going to go with uh, our, I was going to say, our learned friend. But I don't think that he is all that learned indeed. And King Boris, do you see that happening? Is that what we see in the future? Well, Jermaine, I want to start off with um, an image that comes to my head. Um, You said learned friend, but I actually think of him much more of... I don't know if you've ever seen the film... The, the cartoon film by Disney, uh, Jungle Book. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene in it where the, the apes want to capture Mowgli to learn how to make fire because they want to be like man. Right. And they sort of sing this song, I want to be like you. Mm-hmm. And that's how I see him. He's metamorphosized into so many different careers, personalities, standpoints just to be loved, just to be liked. Um, So I think I'm going to start off with that as the idea that he wants to be king. Uh, One of the traits of being a a monarch is that you want to be loved by your people. The question is, could you accept being a king if you were hated by your people? Would it be okay to be king if you were hated by the people? Well, a lot of a lot of kings have been hated. I mean, I'm very sure. Story of Robin Hood, for example. You know, there, there are kings that have been very hated. But what I'm saying is, mm. given some people believe that kings were ordained by God, so right, they have a choice. They were, that was the role they had. But the other side is that kings often do it because they, they, they want the adulation of the people. Oh, he was a good king. Oh, he was a great king. That was a king that was famous afterwards. You know, very important. And I think that's the category that Boris falls into. He has, throughout his career, manoeuvred to become the likable monarch. And I just question whether he's achieved it or not. Now, let's weigh up the pros and the cons. Let's do it properly. Let's make an analysis of how he's done. I'm not going to... I'm going to go against the grain, although it it is quite fitting in Kings and Queens to do this, but I'm going to not go into that. But I'm going to just leave it as a backdrop. We know he's had a number of relationships and a number of children with different partners. Mm-hmm. Well, we, one automatically thinks of someone like Henry VIII in a case like that, where, you know, their own initial family unit wasn't enough. I mean, at least he, he I was going to say, at least he um, divorced his wives, but, well. I mean, look, we there's, stories, there's stories of him having affairs on the day his partner's giving birth. But, but, but the point about that is, is, that's not unusual for a king. You know, it just shows the deprivation of, of, of being omnipotent, you know, the, the only ruler that you can kind of do what you like. There were certain kings and queens around the world that 
believed it was their right to go to other countries, conquer people, and rape anyone at will. So, you know, I'm not saying that's a good way to do it, but I'm saying that's not unusual for a king, is what I'm saying to you. So it seems like he's fitting the role quite well then, so far. Well, I'm just giving both sides of the argument. Now, one of the things kings used to do, I mean, and we actually laugh at the ones that didn't, is, is be very clear about their policies and their, and their direction. Right. Like, it wasn't a question of, do you like what I'm doing? It was like, do this or else. That was kind of the, the royal direction most of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, even to this day, Queen Elizabeth has been very clear about stuff in the royal family, like, do it this way or not. You know, we don't play around. Mm-hmm. That's not Boris's way. Boris's way is much more to swing until he thinks he's hit the popular part of the um, the wind dial. You know, when he when he gets to the point where it's, it kind of works. Now, the other thing that he's done, which I can't really remember kings doing very much of, is he lies as a profession. And most kings were proud of what they did. They didn't have to lie. Like he. Like, Henry VIII didn't have to create some fake story of why he wanted to divorce uh, Catherine of Aragon. He was blatant. I'm the king. I just want to get a divorce. Boris would have said something like, well, I lost my uh, receipt and therefore um, I'm not sure she is the queen, so maybe I can marry someone else. He would have just come up with some around-the-houses story or, you know, there's an infection in England, so she's caught it. Henry VIII beheaded, like, wasn't it four of them? Uh, He beheaded two of them. Two, I think. Was it just two? Died, beheaded, divorced, died, beheaded. So, yeah, he just admitted two. Uh, the couple died from, you know, like obviously in those days, life expectancy was much smaller. Yeah. But, um, like back but, in those days, I'd probably be on my deathbed right now. I think it's many, not many, people, many, many people we know would be on their deathbed by now. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, like uh, I certainly wouldn't be the age I am, no, no chance. Mm. You know, and, and even the kings didn't live that old. I mean, it, you have to go through to Victoria before you have monarchs living to a, a very old. Um, which is why our queen is now rival, or gone past Victoria for for longest monarch. Mm. Most of them mm. had very short terms on the throne, very short terms. In fact, Henry VIII came to the throne because his brother died quite young. Elizabeth came to the throne because two of her relatives died quite young. So she <laughs> was very small, like. 30 was a good age to live to. So, so there was a reason why they acted much more in haste. I mean, Boris isn't anticipating having a shortened lifestyle, and yet had at least three or four partners already, and had fat children. He's just a man who can't say no. Mm. Um, now, let's go on to his career. He left public school. Mm-hmm. And, and don't forget, at the moment, he's surrounding himself with who are all of the same ilk. You know, it's that kind of whole japer thing. They pull someone's trousers down in public, and <laughs> we'll have a jolly good laugh. You know, um, they don't take life seriously. They haven't done proper jobs. Mm-hmm. And they haven't really experienced life in a way that most other people have. So, so in that way, perhaps they are a bit like a monarch in, in as much as they're so remote from the average person. Mm-hmm. The difference would be that monarchs would fight in wars. You know, actually be on the front line of war, so they wouldn't mix with ordinary people. Yeah. As they, as they watch them, you know, become cannon fodder, but they would actually at some point mix with them. 
Well, Boris, I, I can't remember exactly his job history, but his first major job was at Private Eye. Uh, I think it was Private Eye. It was one of those um, magazines, like uh, political, satirical kind of journals, which I'm, under, I'm led to understand that he was sacked from for lying. Oh, oh was he? He, fabric oh. he, he fabricated oh. a story that had no element of real reality based in it. So they got rid of him. And the next major post he held was the mayor of London. And he bangs <laughs> on, Can you imagine? He bangs on about how good a job he did there. But, but most remember him for the... Well, this is Boris in a nutshell. He had a dream to create the first bridge in London that went over... but was actually a park. So the whole of the bridge would be a park. So you've mentioned all the parks you visited London, this could actually be on a bridge. The beautiful green dream. Exactly that, exactly that. As we'll always remember it for the fact that he never completed it. He spent millions on it and it never completed. We still don't have that bridge in London. And then he into politics. And it's, I think it's safe to say that he's blown, again, each way the wind blows to get to the positions he's got in. So there's a long history of people in, in royalty and sort of Shakespearean plays who have got to the top by appeasing everyone in front of them. Mm -hmm. Regardless of what they personally believe on the subject. So like, for example, if he believed that uh, blonde-haired people should have all the best jobs in the world, he wouldn't employ blonde-haired people because he wants to do something that will get him to power and too many people would be against it. So he mm -hmm. literally blows the way the wind is blowing. Now, we come to the, the key making of Boris Johnson. The key factor in his life was Brexit. Not his fault because it was Cameron who brought this in. Mm -hmm. But Cameron brought it in, again with this egotism of, of, of government, to get a resounding vote backing him. So Cameron wanted to walk away saying, look, the people have voted with me against leaving Europe. And if you bear that in mind with the vote for Scottish uh, independence, in both votes, the, the, the outcome was meant to be close, but actually we stay as we are and that the people putting the vote forward would be held as heroes. <sighs> as we know, that backfired Cameron. It backfired very badly indeed. He misread the country totally. He misread very, very 10 bad. years of, of austerity. He misread complete attacks on the working class. And the he misread, and this is something Johnson's doing at the moment, he misread the public frustration at the nepotism of politicians compared to the abandonment of the people. Mm -hmm. So they hated the political class. And the biggest symbol for a lot of people in the country at the time was the EU, the faceless individuals who, get, who don't even get voted to, to, to run Europe. So there was an elite that, that, that were, in a, a sort of, according to English people who voted for Brexit, in a fake parliament making decisions for the whole of Europe. And the person who first brought this up was Farage. 
And this is important because Farage is a far-right thinker. He is uh, close to being a bigot. Close? Wow. I want to... I want to hold back on these things in case an absolute bigot comes along and then we, then we don't have anything to call them, you see. <laughs> You're um, giving him the benefit of the doubt, are you? I'm, I'm saying he, he walks the tightrope. <laughs> um, now, the point of this is... This is important, Jermaine, because Boris saw the the the, um, the direction of the waves, if you like, mm-hmm. and he jumped on board with this. Now, why is that important? Is because the popularity of the Conservatives in elections since then has been that in the past their vote has been chipped into by far right votes, parties like the uh, BNP and that. The far right votes don't chip into the Conservatives anymore because they have taken that ground. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? So they've got the Conservative Conservatives and they've got the far right Conservatives. Historically, their biggest threat was to, to their voting um, populace was was the people who were on the far right who said that you're way too tame for us. Well, Boris has abandoned that, right. which is why which is why you find he wraps himself in the flag. He says, this is an important symbol for him because he needs to keep that vote. In the same way Trump had to keep that, the vote of those right-wing bigots. You just can't afford to lose that, that voting section because it bites into your vote. So if you get a thousand votes ahead of your, your rival, it becomes 500 if they start standing against you. Now, Boris is disliked from the right and the left, but he has managed to juggle this kind of populist approach so that people don't actually blame him for the things he does wrong. Now, this is not uncommon with kings and queens as well. They'll make decisions that they can then afterwards say, look, you see why I did that? And at the time, people hated them for it, but afterwards it became clear. Um, Mm. Now, the other thing that helps him very much is you would have to say that I'm going to exclude Corbyn from this, from the point of view of how the press and everyone got onto him. Like he was like seen as uh, worse than the virus. But if you go away from Corbyn and say the other two Labour leaders on both sides of Corbyn have been the worst Labour leaders in history, mm-hmm. and that is that takes some doing. There have been some abysmal failures. Who until the past sort of five, six years or 10 years, um, have been far and away the worst Labour has ever produced. They didn't get into power and they were abysmal. But quite frankly, the two that are, are around each side of Corbyn are even worse. That's made Boris's job much easier. That's made him much more like a monarch. Plus, if you remember, for a very long time, the Social Democratic Party, the Liberal Party, had very good leaders. Mm-hmm. Do you know who leads them now? No, that's my point. You would have been able to tell me their names back in 1990. The the point is that they have lost all of their shape. The last leader of the Social Democratic Party, a.k.a. Liberal Party, uh, to be known by the people was um, Nick Clegg. And he absolutely lost the people by saying, promising not to 
increased student um, student, student loans. loans. He was he, he was he was said whatever happens, I will not allow the government to switch from student grants to student loans. Oh, yeah. You can have my word on that. And uh, and then he voted with the government, and they got they passed that that vote. So yeah. he was forever hated for that. So at that point, the party went hugely downhill. But in a time when Boris is hated by a large section of the community, people will still struggle to name the leader of the Liberal Party, the leader of the Green Party. And the Labour Party leadership is weak. Which means, when you analyse it, effectively Johnson's in the role of king at the moment. Because he has very little opposition. Even with his own party, the so-called moderates have been very much pushed to the outside. You know, basically, as soon as they vote against Johnson, you remember this around the, the whole Brexit thing? If you vote against him, you lose your whip. Oh, yeah. So they can't even vote against him. So he has marginalised the opposition leader and his own party, uh, the people that go against him. So you could argue he's very much sitting in the position of a king. Now, the other thing that makes it really, really regal-like is the press are 100% behind him. The very few stories come out against Boris, and if they do, they're temporary stories. They're on single-issue politics, like uh, there's a, a rail track being put through a middle-class area. It'll be a story like that. It won't be the fact that he's messed up Brexit, that he's messed up the virus. Very, very little criticism by the press about this. Because Boris Johnson has always acknowledged, because he comes from the press, how important the press are to him. Even to the point of threatening the BBC so that they will tell stories slightly more in his favour. So he has created a kingdom. He has created a kingdom. And what would make it perfect for him right now is if England was to win the Euro Championships. Mm -hmm. That would be the icing on the cake. That would very much be the... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yes, the resistance. You see, what Johnson's wanted for years and hasn't been able to perform, deliver it because of various factors, is a street party in his benefit like a party that's all he wants mm -hmm. he wants that sense of so-called unity Britishness and celebrating the king aka him and he hasn't had a reason every time he's got close to it it's been pulled away from him leaving Brexit didn't kind of happen on the day it was meant to happen freedom days we've had about five of them when we've been leaving, when we've been opening the doors to, because the virus has finally gone and it's never quite happened. So every time he's planned something, it's not happened. You can't doubt the fact that if we actually won the European Championships, that would be a day to celebrate. And this is a man that has no concern about his politics. So, for example, although he may be consistently acting in a racist manner, the fact that we'll win the the Euro Championships with black players? Absolutely, let's have a party. 
Absolutely, let's have a party. He sees a bigger picture. Mm. Bit of a visionary then, I'll take it. Uh, well, he's got a vision. I wouldn't call him a visionary. I think he has a vision. <laughs> um, he sees himself as a Poundlands Winston Churchill. And I think winning the European Championships will be perfect for him. Only one Prime Minister has ever sat on the seat of 10 Downing Street when England has won a tournament. Only one in the history of football. Who was that, by the way? It was Harold Wilson in 1966. Mm. So I always think you're off to a better start if you've got the name Wilson. That's just a personal view. <laughs> um, but um, no, no other... Labour, the Labour leader, yeah? No other... Oh, no, I'm not related, sorry, no. Oh. No, absolutely not. He was from Huddersfield or somewhere. Um, that doesn't matter. It does matter. Anyway, so the point is, um, the point is, uh, he would be, only be the second leader of the country to ever oversee a victory in a, in a, in a football tournament. So he would go down in the record. Breaks. Right. And it was also an excuse for a party, a.k.a. get the flags out. A chance to, to stamp on the people that say, no, no, this is wrong, this is racist. This, you know, using the Union Jack, it's, it's anti this, anti that. All those people could be trod on because the fervour of the moment will take over. Mm -hmm. Which is why you'll find that he was prepared to stand up to UEFA around the Champions League, which had two British teams in it, to say, we're not going to have it at Wembley if you insist on bringing an entourage of people along. And they moved it to Portugal. Mm -hmm. But he's not prepared to have this tournament move. So it's created special conditions. He's created very special conditions for UEFA and its entourage to be taken from A to B to C so that he can appease both sides. So people can't say to him, yeah, but you said you weren't going to allow it. He said, I'm not allowing it fully. I'm allowing it only through <laughs> organised travel and things like that, organised accommodation, etc. And what we know about Boris is he'll say anything to get what he wants. And we only have to ask his ex-mistresses to see that. It's Ooh. really not... Well, it's true. I'm sorry you go, oh, but it's true. He hasn't stayed with them. He's got children with them. I mean, come on. Let's do the maths here. You know, I'll ask you a simple question, which will prove to you everything you need to know about Boris. How many children has he got? There are reports that he has seven. I can't confirm or deny that. Right, there are reports that go higher than that and there are reports that go lower than that as well. Mm. You're just picking one report. What I'm saying to you is, name me a leader, name me any leader, who you don't know how many children they've got. <laughs> Even Henry VIII. I challenge you to name me one leader that you can't tell me how many children they've got. I can name one, it's Boris. Yes, absolutely right. We don't know. He, he refuses to say. You know, he's done all this shank. What's the word? He's done all this skullduggery with all these women, but he's but he's, on honour, he won't say how many. <laughs> it's a joke. The guy was completely moral, has no morals. 
and yet suddenly his morality stands up. I'm, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say how many. Oh, no, 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 no. So why not? <laughs> You've done everything else. Why not? Makes you wonder. You know, maybe he has. Maybe we're looking at this wrong. Maybe he has illusions not to be king, but to be Father Christmas. Because I'm thinking, how, how many houses do you think he goes to for Christmas Day? Well, probably all of them during lockdown. Well, I'm just thinking about for Christmas itself. Let's say he's got seven children, like you said. And let's to say... Be fair, eh? He opened things up for Christmas. Yes, exactly. Mm. I'm very much aware of that. But what I'm saying to you is, he, let's say he's got seven children. Jermaine, do you want to have a guess at how many households that's over? Is that three or four? I would have said three or four. Yeah, that's what I would have gone with. So are we saying he's gone to four houses or two of them are not talking to him? I don't know. But but if he's being a proper father to his children and, and he has good relations with those women, he's visiting four houses maximum at Christmas Day. Are we sure he wants to be king and maybe he actually wants to be fat Santa Claus? He's got the white hair, he just needs a white beard, really. He's got That's the a lot port- of Christmas dinners, for sure. Well, he's, he's got the figure to hold that. To be fair, we've got to say that he, if anyone could fit the role, he could do it. Are we thinking of Boris Johnson as a kind of cross between Henry VIII and Father Christmas? <laughs> Oh, and oh, oh dear, oh dear. This is uh, this is definitely not somebody that I'd like to see coming down my chimney on uh, Christmas Eve. That's for sure. Well, who knows? Stranger things have happened. I've got a question for you. Probably it's a good one to sort of come to the end of this particular topic with. You asked me earlier today about what will happen with people when the virus finally finishes and they can go back to normality in terms of mental health and things. Mm-hmm. I've got a better question for you. What will happen when Boris finally leaves office? How do we get over that? You know, in the way, how did the Americans get over the fact Trump left office? Other than the fact that Trump is saying he's still around and not going to leave. How do you get some, over? Some people in America are breathing a sigh of great relief. Would we breathe a sigh of great relief? Or well, you, would yeah. we, like, because he, he, well, he did say that he was going to leave in March last year. Right. Okay. I'm going right? to have to refer you back to every comment he ever makes. It's not right, worth paper. Exactly. It's written up. Right. So is, is he on the way out potentially in the next year? Well, let's put it like this. Who would be the the alternative? Well, I'll come to that in a minute. But first of all, the reason why he wants to leave is he's accumulated a lot of money as leader of the the country. Money that, in theory, shouldn't have gone to him, but it's gone to him. And he wants to have the time to spend it. Yeah, it's not... When he he leaves office, no one cares about how he decorates his flat and who pays for it. And he'll get a lot of talking tours and what have you. He's a fantastic speaker. I heard him mm-hmm. today in the House of Commons. Mm-hmm. Questioned about why why the Conservatives have consistently let down rape victims. He was fantastic. You'd think he was the one attacking. 
you know, he's a great speaker, so he'll get loads of after-dinner speeches and they'll pay much more than he gets as Prime Minister, but he's embezzled a lot of money. We can't prove that, but we know that. So he doesn't want to stay around forever. But you're missing the point. You're missing the point. We've got a character in charge. Um, we've got a clown in number 10. When that clown leaves, there's a void. Even if you had the best or the worst politicians take over after them, something is missing. That buffoonery is gone. Because wherever he makes mistakes, he also makes people laugh. In the wrong ways, but he makes people laugh. What people say about Boris, which they never say about any other politician is, oh no, I know he made mistakes, but you know, that's Boris. So we've kind of got a new term in the political dictionary. That's Boris, Borisization. When Boris does it, it doesn't count the same way as other people. Mm. So many political people have resigned, been kicked out of office for mistakes that he has made. He's Teflon, nothing sticks. Nothing sticks on him. He's your friendly clown. No, but you know, you laugh, but it's true. And, and psychologically, it's a big effect on the country if the clown goes and we've got nothing to laugh at anymore. The only thing that's got us through this is still the ability to laugh at stuff. And has there been anything bigger to laugh at than Boris? Questionable? Has there been? I don't think so. So it, when you asked me the question earlier about how people are going to cope psychologically and mentally about the end of the virus, I'm going to ask you the same question about the end of Boris. I mean, that's, that's a good question. Um, it's, it's, it's something that I, to be honest, I guess you could say looking forward to, uh, to some degree. But my main concern is the people. Yeah, That's me too. Me too. And I'm asking the question because of that. Like with Trump in America, they've pinned a lot of hope on this clown. They've pinned a lot of hope on him. So when he goes, whether he succeeds or fails, they're left. In the same way that Trump, those Trump people were left at Capitol Hill to face court cases. And their only argument in court was Trump told us to do it which is not a legal argument. So when people hear us absolutely messed up because of Brexit, because of the virus, and because of how he's dealt with it all, their only argument will be, well, yeah, but Boris said we'd be all right. Boris said it'd be for the better. Now that's a psychological impact that you don't know how people are going to cope with. That's a big question. Because he was kind of the clown that said, don't matter what happens, put it all on me. So if he leaves, they're left with an empty dream and an empty position of, of if it fails, who to put pin the blame on. Where's your scapegoat gone? And he will leave because that's, you know, like historically, that's what he does. <laughs> he's left everything he's ever done. What's the longest he's done to anything? Stood for anything? St stand by anything? You know, it's a challenge, mate. Let's go away and research and see what the longest thing he's ever done oh, in, his, in his adult life. You know, what's the longest period that he's been 
with something, loyal to something, seeing something through to its end. What's the longest he's done that? And there's an alternative which we haven't spoken about, but perhaps we do need to speak about. Oh, what's that now? No, it's the one you'll prefer, I know. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Try me. Well, we've... <clears throat> as in taking that option to go. But what if he actually gets finally blamed for something he's actually done and hounded out of office? Because that would be the logical conclusion. That would be the... Psychologically, that would be the place where people can vent their frustration at having been led to so many broken promises by him. But for me, I just think, well, what would he have to do to actually pick up his thing like that? Well, no, it's more about what action happens. So what, you know, if something happened, I don't have anything in mind at the moment, but all the things that he's done and tried to do, they've, he's got away with it somehow, you know, being Boris or whatever, he's got away with it. But what happens if the thing was so big, he couldn't get away with it? Imagine it was such a big scandal. And, and, you know, I don't know which one I'm thinking of, but you imagine it was something that was so big, he was like, people want him out immediately. That would, that would, what's that word? That would sate the, the need for blood that people will have by that stage. Because they're going to want a, almost like a public execution because he has so let them down at that stage. And I'm reminded of a scene in Shakespeare, in Richard III, when it was the War of the Roses. And Richard's done everything possible. He's killed all his rivals. He's manipulated his way to the throne. And he finally has this big battle. And he gets knocked off his horse. And he's surrounded by the enemy on horseback. And he turns to them with the last gasp, last gasp options that he can find. And he says, a horse, a horse, my kingdom for a horse. He's prepared to give everything he owns away for one horse so he can get away. Okay. What happens when Boris is in that situation? Because at some point it could happen that he's called, you know, like a... He's called to task for the things he's actually done. To the lies he's actually given us all, that people have swallowed. And there's nothing worse What's that expression? There's nothing worse than a woman scorned. You know, there's nothing worse than the people that have supported How him wholeheartedly. No like there you go. There you go. Well, these these people, I'm going to call them women because they're not, but I'm going to call them men and women. But the, these people have followed him through thick and thin. He was their direction out of all sorts of problems. About EU, about Corbyn. He was their answer to all of that. Even to the virus. And the people today still wholeheartedly believe him. No one's going to be more angry than them if they decide that, actually, this hasn't worked the way they wanted it to. No one's going to be more angry. All the things that they asked for have not been done so far. Now, you could say because of the virus, or you could say because economic slumps, but they've been let down. Not a single factor that they've asked for has happened. 
no 350 million to the NHS, those borders, no better economy and standard of living and products since we've left the EU. The virus still hasn't been vanquished in this country. Most people have been injected twice. He hasn't delivered it. And that's why I said to you earlier, the only thing he could possibly deliver, even though it's not him delivering it, England winning the, the football championship. And that's why he wants it to be in You have an open to mm. come back from Hungary and get on. day after. So I've made a lot more people follow the outcome of this tournament now then before. No, English. Jermaine, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Hello, can you hear me? Jermaine? Hi. Sorry, I think I got cut out a bit there. No, you... you I don't know if I thought I got cut off. Okay, cool. Mm. So, what do you think? I think we just need to get Boris out. Okay, well, that's short and sweet. In that case, you're going to have to come up with a strategy that no one so far has been able to do. <laughs> Literally, I think it might be a Guy Fawkes thing. Um... Yeah, I think it might be. Also, you'll have to deal with this. And you did it really well. You used to do it really well when we, when we did those... ...need to be Boris. I thought oh, you yeah. put... He personate him really well because any question he gets is difficult. So if I ask him how many children goes, well, works it. <laughs> you know, that's kind of buffing baboon. Buffoon, sorry, not baboon, buffoon. Uh, you don't really get an answer. How he gets away with not doing <laughs> you know, look what you've done. <laughs> look at you, Jermaine. You mean you you You've, you, you've managed to uh, confuse people on, on Instagram. No, that's about as good as you get from him, really. <laughs> so, you'll have to come up with a strategy that so far the Labour Party, the Liberals, uh, Europe, all haven't been able to do so far. And I can't help but think that his Achilles heel is and always has been the... The, the, the zone of Ireland. He doesn't understand it fully and there aren't any easy options to slip into that he's done with everything else. Mm -hmm. His best option is to allow the EU and Southern Ireland to make the decisions and then go, oh, look what you've done now. Even though he's created the format for why there's a problem at the moment. That's the best he can do and it's not great. So we will see. Watch this space. What happens if Ireland gets worse and England don't win the Euro Championships? Then he has to start worrying. <clears throat> My guess is he will simply step down. Offer the post to who is the Deputy Prime Minister at the moment? I don't even know. 
See, that's one of those situations that's a joy, isn't it? Because you think, oh, God, thank God we got rid of Boris, and then you're going to have to wake up to who is actually taking over I, the country. I think, I think um, it would technically be Dominic Raab, I think. Can you imagine Dominic Raab as the leader of this country? <laughs> it's, um, hmm. He, I don't know. I, I, I to, be honest, to be quite honest, I haven't really seen him much other than here and there. And, and I think the last time I remember seeing him was, oh, there was a time before the last time where he was stepping in because Boris was ill with the virus. That's right. So he that's stepped right. In, I remember that. Yeah, I think yeah. Matt Hancock kind of stepped in as well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think there's three right. of them. They kind of took it in turns. Um, and then after that, I think the last time I saw him was around the defence budget announcement. Back in he's, 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 he's done a couple of things since, but you're right. Okay. Well, I'm going to say this to you. I remember hearing a discussion programme about why Hancock wasn't removed from office when, when Cummings was consistently saying he was useless, both mm -hmm. now and a year ago. And the answer was, there isn't actually anyone better so if Boris goes and Rob's in charge, you're gonna you're gonna be start praying for Boris to come back, and that is saying something. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine in the House of Commons, one side Rob and the other side Keir Starmer? Hmm. That's a party no one's gonna go to. <laughs> So before you rush to get rid of Boris, just think about what lies in replacement for him. The king is dead, long live the king, all that stuff. Jermaine, it's been a joy to discuss this with you today. Has it? <clears throat> yes, it has. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I have to say, it's been uh, insightful. I'm going to say one thing. I'm going to say one thing I felt all my life. And that's when I meet people like yourself who are intelligent, witty, forward thinking, actually weigh things up. I always wonder how we end up with the politicians we end up with. It's almost as if it's based on class and nothing else. If you wonder why people out there are curious, Jermaine, and if you wonder why they're anarchic, Perhaps that's the reason. That is all we've got time for today. Oh, Jermaine. Curious Anarchy podcast. It has been a wonderful, wonderful foray into uh, shenanigans. Um, that's <laughs> to be quite honest. Um, I have been Jermaine and Marky has been Marky. Uh, thank you very can't much. Can't argue with any of that, can you? You can't argue with any of that. <laughs> right, at least we have some fact out of today's show. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Right. Um, yeah. That's all. Thank you so much. Much appreciated. Much love, peace, and unity. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening, and good night. Yeah.